Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. I'm also the author of a few books, including Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude, The Bible Exposed, The Pops Devotion Series, and A Dozen Disappointing Disciples. If you want more information about my books or to see what else I've been up to, go to my website, tomfrench.com.au. Let's get on with the talk. When I was uh, probably around like 10 years old, I read a book by an author named Emily Rodder, and she had written a book called The Best Kept Secret, and it was about a carousel that was a time-traveling carousel that uh, you got on the carousel and then it would spin around and then it would take you seven years into the future and you would see your future and what was going on. And uh, once you were there, uh, you could then kind of figure out what you needed to happen in your life as you went back in time seven years and got off the carousel and everything was changed. That, uh, there was probably some important messages in there about time and the like. I did not understand most of those things or was not paying attention when I was 10. But what I did pay attention to was there was one scene where the carousel broke down and uh, all time froze. And this man, maybe a man and, uh, and a woman, I can't exactly remember, and uh, I, it's, it's difficult to find a book that was, is that old, but uh, this man and a woman, I think they got off the carousel and just wandered off into the frozen landscape of time. And that was, I think, meant to be some kind of distressing, sad moment. But for me, as a 10-year-old, I was like, frozen time? That sounds great. How exciting. And, I, and I, from that point on, I started daydreaming about what it would be like to freeze time. Like, there are some great things that could happen if you froze time. Like, if you wanted to go and look at any secret government installations, you could, because time is frozen. You could just go and have a snoop, no worries. If you ever had hot chips that got cold, they wouldn't, because when time is frozen, they'll just stay hot forever. Uh, if you wanted to play pranks on people and pick someone up and move them somewhere else, and like, I was there, but now I'm here, what's going on? Uh, you could do that. It would be great. But then I started thinking, hold on, if time is frozen and I'm the only one who can move, that means that maybe all the other things around me can't move, and then maybe the air particles can't move. And then if I freeze time, and then I can't move the air, and then I'm stuck, and then I'm just stuck frozen, and I can't un. un- freeze time and I'm stuck there forever just in one spot and I can't do any pranks and I can't get anywhere near the hot chips. Anyway, it, then it led to some more existential crises, but that's uh, not that important. I tell you this only because I think we, we often would love to be able to have more time, to be able to freeze time, to get stuff done, to have an extra day in the week, an extra hour in the day, uh, to get more sleep, to get more to achieve more things, to tick off more of your to-do list. We need more time. We want more time. Time becomes our master. And in this uh, passage, we see that time plays a significant role in this passage. Uh, time comes up a lot. And, uh, and we see that in the way that Jesus responds to these people, that he is not mastered by time. Uh, he is the master of time. And he responds completely differently to those who feel the pressure of time. And so the story begins uh, when Jesus 
uh, has uh, returned uh, from a ministry trip. Uh, he's done some healing far away in his back and some people are all there excited seeing there's a crowd gathering around him. Uh, he's walking along and, uh, and, and this man comes over to him, Jairus. And Jairus is a synagogue leader. So he is a, an important man in the community. Uh, he was very, uh, <laughs> I'm just, just getting visited by my daughter. Um, He's an important man in the community. He is the one who, uh, you know, makes sure that the synagogue is running well. He makes sure that there's, you know, people are doing all their jobs. And, uh, and he would be someone who is, because he's so well respected that, that everyone would know who he is. But he has a problem. His daughter, who's 12 years old, is dying. He's running out of time to find a solution to this problem. And uh, this... And so he comes to Jesus, and this man who would probably never bow down to anyone falls at Jesus' feet and pleads with him to come to his house. His only daughter is going to die. He needs Jesus to act and to act now. We've got to get this done, sorted out. And so Jesus, he heads off. And on his way, the crowds are crushing him at this point. They all want to see what's going to happen. Like the, the word was spread. Jesus is going to heal someone. We're going to see a miracle. This is what we're here for. This is exciting. And so they're all traveling along with Jesus. And meanwhile, there's another woman there. Uh, there's a woman who uh, she has been bleeding for 12 years. Uh, most likely it's menstrual bleeding or you know, some, something uh, within that uh, medical field. I don't know all the options that there are. Um, but she's been bleeding for a long time. And because, as we just heard uh, read to us, uh, if, you are, if you have your period, then in ancient uh, purity laws, then you are treated as unclean. Not that you are sinful, but because of the way that uh, God wanted worship to happen and the, the way that uh, pagan worship happened around uh, people's bodily fluids, uh, you know, God was saying, you know, we worship differently. And so uh, when, um, when people have... Uh, you know, either a woman has her menstrual um, flow or a man has, a, has his semen. Like these are things which people used in worship. But now God's saying this is different. And so they have these cleanliness laws. And so people, for this woman though, would be treating her as unclean, but not just for the time of her period, but because she'd been bleeding for 12 years. She'd be unclean for 12 years. For the same length of time that the daughter has been alive, this woman has been bleeding. And her life would have stopped about the time when this girl's life began. Because no one would be able to spend time with her. People wouldn't be able to touch her. Everything she sat on would be treated as unclean. She wouldn't be able to go and worship with her people. And so she's desperate. And this is her time now. This is her time for Jesus to do something for her. And so she takes a risk and she makes her way through the crowd and she reaches out to touch Jesus, hoping that just by touching him, she might be healed. And as she does that, she is healed. And Jesus feels it. And he looks around and, uh, she, and he asks, who touched me? And Peter thinks this is a stupid question. He says, master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Like, why would you ask that? It's like jumping in water and saying, I'm wet. Which molecule did that? 
One of your water molecules made me wet. Which one was it? Like, why, who would you say? Why would you say who touched me? But Jesus knows that there was not just any old touch. It was an important touch. The power had gone out from him. His voice says, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And they're looking around, waiting. And this woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at Jesus' feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. I don't know how exactly what she's feeling, but I assume that she's worried that Jesus is going to get angry at her because she stole power from him. I assume that she's scared that everyone else is going to see her and say, that's the unclean woman. And now she's here with us and she's made us all unclean. But what Jesus says to her is this, daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. When she touched Jesus, he didn't become unclean, she became clean. Power flowed from him to her so that she might be made whole. And he wasn't just concerned with her physical healing, but he wanted to make sure that she was socially healed, that everyone was there who knew this woman, this whole town would have been known that is the unclean woman and now she, they know that she is clean, that she is healed, that she is set free, that her life can begin again. It was the right time for her. Her 12 years of suffering is over. She can begin again. Meanwhile, we see that uh, Jesus is still speaking in verse 49. And someone came from the house of Jairus and the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. I imagine at this point, Jairus' universe imploded. The thing he had been hoping for, hoping would not happen, has happened. He's out of time. His whole life is going to be divided in two by this moment, the moment between when his daughter was alive and when his daughter was dead. He's out of time. And maybe he's angry at Jesus because Jesus has taken time, taken not just time, but maybe even taken his daughter from him because he didn't act in time. This woman was sick for 12 years. She could have waited a little bit longer. And when she, when, when she got healed, Jesus could have said, good on you, I got to keep going. But he stopped and he talked to her and he spent time with her. And maybe this, this girl died because of that. But Jesus turns to him and says, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. Which, if Jesus is telling the truth, then they're great words to hear. But if, he's, but if you don't know that he's telling the truth, then these might just feel like terrible words to hear. Just trite things to say oh she'll be okay don't worry about it it's only if Jesus can follow through that these words have any power in them and so they head off and they arrive at his house Jesus doesn't let anyone go in except for Peter James and John and the girl's parents and Jesus looks at the people there who are crying and wailing and he says stop wailing she's not dead but asleep and people think this is pretty funny because they know what a dead person looks like. They've seen a few and this girl is definitely dead. And so they laugh at Jesus. But he takes her by the hand and he says to her, my child, get up. As simple as just waking her up in the morning. And she wakes up 
Her spirit returns and at once she stands up and Jesus told them to give her something to eat, which I love because I hope that after I die and when I rise again, that Jesus says, give him something to eat. When, uh, when our daughter was born, one of the first things my wife wanted was McDonald's. And so we had a, we had a, a, a citywide search for an open McDonald's to get McDonald's to her. And I too got to eat McDonald's, so I was very thankful for that. That's an aside. Because what's more impressive is this dead girl is back to life and Jesus brought her to life with just a few words. Her parents were astonished, which uh, seems like the right word, maybe too small a word for what has just happened. And he orders them not to tell anyone what has happened. And I think he orders them not to tell anyone because he doesn't want, he's not here because he wants to be the miracle man. He's here for something bigger than that. He's here to set people free uh, from sin and death. He's here to tell people that the kingdom of God has come in him. It's more than just single miracles. It's about changing the whole world. He wants people to focus on him and his message, not the miracles that he does. But he takes the time with people and he, and he heals people because he also cares about the individual. He's not just the big picture Jesus. He's got the time for single people, for one-on-one interactions with people. And so the question is, what is it that this has to say to us? Well, I think the first thing we see as we think about this and, and, and how we relate to time and how we relate to the stress of things that have to happen now, as we worry about the things that we want Jesus to do, the healing that we're waiting for to come, whether it's physical healing or emotional healing, relational healing, whether we think about the things that we've been praying for that haven't been answered, the stuff that we want God to do and want him to hurry up and do it. What does this have to say to us? I think the first thing we see in this story is that Jesus is not rushed. He is not mastered by time. He is the master of time. And so he has enough time to spend with everyone, with anyone who needs it. He's not concerned about just getting stuff done. He's concerned about the people that he is there to love, the people he is there to help, the people he is there to care for. He is not rushed. At uh, my, one of my local calls, I've got a lot of, you know, just, I don't know, you live in this area, there's so many like shopping, like Coles and Woolworths everywhere and some IGAs here and there, so many. But one of them, I have, there's this one, Brunswick West, you know that one? There's this woman who works there, she's great. But she, she's a, she's, she'll scan your, your stuff and she'll talk to you. And so when you're in the line, I remember the first time I came up to her, I was, I was in the line, Layla, my daughter, was in the trolley, we had a lot of stuff, and, uh, and the person in front of me, she was getting a great discussion, and she was having a long conversation with them, scanning very slowly, but really engaging with this person, hearing about their life, chatting about what's going on, talking about you know, you know, how, how their family is, and talking about how her family is, and it's a long catch-up, and I'm like, hurry up. I don't, I don't have time for this. I'm just here to get things scanned. If I'd known this was going to happen, I would have gone to the self-checkout. I would, have, I would have worried about how to get my trolley through the self-checkout because that is less stressful than me having to wait for you. 
And then we get to her and she starts scanning my things and she starts chatting to me. And at first I'm like, you know, giving short answers, like let's just get this done. But she's engaging me. And then I'm kind of enjoying the interaction. Then she's talking about my daughter and how cute she is. And then, you know, well, that works for me. I'm like, yeah, okay. And then, uh, and so, and then I'm having a good time. I'm like, scan slower. Let's chat some more. This is good. And then I, I want to go back. And when I see her there, I'm like, ah, oh, she's the good one. And, like, and I'm willing to, to, to lose time talking to her because she cares about me. She's someone who takes the people in her job seriously, probably more seriously than, than the, the bosses at Coles wanted to take it. They'd probably want her KPIs to improve, but she spends time with you. And this is what Jesus does. He's not rushed. He takes time because he cares about us more than the things, more than, than we care about us. He cares, we care about all the things that have to be done and he cares about us. How are we going? What's going on in our hearts? Who do we need to become? What healing do we need that we don't understand, that we don't see? He is not rushed. And so if that's true for Jesus, then maybe that's something that we can follow him in. That we can be people who choose to, to follow him in an unrushed life. But if that's the case, then we've got to know that his unrushed worthiness is, means he's also trustworthy. That he's someone who, if he's not rushed, then there's a good reason not to be rushed with him. Because there are some people who are very slow and are not rushed but they're always late and they never get things done on time and the things that should happen don't happen and then everyone is just frustrated with them. But that's not Jesus. I mean, there are a lot of people frustrated with Jesus, but not always for good reason. No, never for good reason. But is Jesus worth trusting? What did he say to Jairus? When Jairus's daughter has died, he says, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. He's saying, trust me. Well, how do we know that we can trust him? Because if we're not going to rush, if we're going to trust him in his timing, then we've got to know that we can rely on him. I've already uh, mentioned McDonald's once in this sermon, and uh, I'm going to mention it again. And, you know, I'll probably, maybe I'll get a third mention if McDonald's is lucky. But I go to McDonald's a lot. Particularly, I go to McDonald's when I'm on a road trip. So tomorrow I'm driving up to Sydney for my mother's 70th birthday. And when we drive up to Sydney, you can be sure that there's going to be at least one Macca's trip, maybe two. If you can, if you can sort it out so that you get a Macca's breakfast and a Macca's dinner, then you, it's, like you have, you've, it's like you've only had one Macca's, but you know, just two different, like, but you, you can't have the same meal twice in a day, but you can sort it out. And I go to Macca's a lot because when you arrive in the, at the service station or these small towns, you look around and say, okay, what can I rely on here? And you see there's the, all these different shops and you don't know what they are. There's the petrol station kind of like food and, and you're like, well, that could be good. Like some of it looks like it might be all right, but I don't know. It's not reliable. I can't trust it. But you say, Maccas, I know. I can trust Maccas. It's going to be mediocre, but I know exactly what the mediocrity is. And you can get the same mediocrity everywhere you go. At every Macca's, it's reliable. It's trustworthy. So there are other places are hit and miss. You might go into a small country town and have the best meal you've ever had, or you might have the worst meal you've ever had. But if you're only there for like 20 minutes, then you're going to go for the most mediocre meal you've ever had. You got Macca's. 
Now, Jesus, he's not mediocre. That's not what I'm saying in this illustration, but he is reliable. He's entirely trustworthy. That you can come to him and he's going to do the same thing again and again and again. Not, he's not going to act in the same way, but he's going to care about you always. You look back on your life and the things that you have been stressed about, the things that you've want, wanted God to hurry up with, the prayers that you've prayed 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And think about how has he answered those prayers? My guess is that you can see that he has answered prayers, that he's acted in trustworthy ways, that you have stories that you've told. Maybe you've told them again and again and again. This is how God answered my prayer. This is how God worked. He didn't do it the way I wanted to, but he did it. He got it done and I saw that his way was the best way. He didn't do it in the time I wanted him to, but he got it done. He's trustworthy. When we look at Jesus, we see he is someone who cares about us. He loves us. He cares about people more than he cares about projects. The fact that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again for us shows that he puts us before even his own life. He's willing to give it up for us. He's entirely trustworthy. You know what you're going to get. Someone who is going to put you first, even when you don't. And he shouldn't put us first. He should, put, he should say, you know, you guys, come on. Like, I'm Jesus, I'm God, I'm impressive, my time works, everything's important. But for some reason, he says, I'm going to care about you. I'm going to love you, and I'm, and I'm going to care about the things you care about, and I'm going to answer your prayers, I'm going to look after you, and if you trust me, you will see that I will work. And as we do that, we see, <coughs> excuse me, we do that, we, <coughs> we do that, we see, it's the daycare cold that was like two weeks ago, but it just hangs around. <clears throat> All right. As we do that, we will see him at work. We'll see him come through and we'll see that he has been trustworthy. He was trustworthy in the past. He'll be trustworthy in the future. He's going to be trustworthy right now. And so we can be we can trust Jesus and then we don't have to rush him. We don't have to tell him to hurry up, get it done. We can say, I know that you're going to do what's right in the right time because you have loved me and you've continued to love me and you're going to continue to love me. I can trust you. We don't need to rush him. And as we don't rush him, we'll find that there are other things that we start to notice, other things that we start to enjoy. Other things that change about our life because we're not focused on the stuff that has to happen, that God has to do. We're focused about what God is doing, what God has done, and what God continues to do. A few years ago, I was uh, invited to uh, Kenya to preach. Uh, it was, it was like, there, there, I was not invited for any particular reason, like that I was amazing. Just some guy found me on the internet and said, hey, come to Kenya and preach. And... Uh, Oh, it's water. More water. Thank you. This is colder than my water. That's, that's good. Thank you. If you, it doesn't matter. And I was invited to Kenya, and, uh, and so I went along, and people were like, oh, when you get there, you've got to watch out 
for African time. And I was like, ah, African time. Like, things don't happen in our time. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll be prepared. And so I was like, yeah, things are going to just happen a bit later or not, whatever. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just be ready for that. We arrive in Kenya, and then I learned about Kenyan time. And uh, what happened was they, on the first day, we arrived in this town, and this pastor who was running this event came to me, and he's like, okay, we're leaving tomorrow morning. The conference is starting at 10 a.m., and so we're going to get there for 10 a.m. I was like, okay, great. And so I was like, we're not really, because I know I'm, I'm prepared, African time, I, I'm going to be ready. And so I was ready at 9 a.m., me and my friend who are there. And we're like, ready at nine, you know, we've, it takes two hours to get there. You know, that's, we're pretty relaxed enough. We're ready to go at nine. At nine o'clock, they don't turn up. At 10 o'clock, when the conference is meant to start in this place that's two hours away, they knock on the door and say, you ready to go? We're like, yeah, ready to go. I'm like, great, let's go to the conference. And they say, no, 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 we're going to go to the bank. It's like, okay, all right, cool, let's go to the bank. So we go to the bank. And then they're like, okay, We've gone to the bank. I'm like, are we going now? Like, oh, no, we're going to go shopping. I was like, oh, okay, great. Let's go shopping. And so then we go do some shopping. And then we're like, okay, now we're going to go. And they're like, well, they're like, it's pretty late now. We should probably need to eat some chips. I was like, oh, yeah, we do need to eat some chips. Let's do that. So then we eat some chips. And they're like, hey, do you want to go to the internet cafe? I was like, I do. Let's do that. And so then we go to use the internet. And then we head off. We're like, it's time to go. I was like, oh, great. Look, it's only like 12 o'clock. Let's head off to the 10 o'clock conference. And as we start going, the guy who's driving us, uh, he had told us that he's running for president one day. And so anytime he sees someone he knows, he's going to stop and chat to them. So he's stopping the car. Hey, how are you going? They come over, have a chat. And then uh, a few of them like jump in the back of the ute. And then we keep going. And then we stop and let some people out. And we chat to a few more people. Then we stop and buy some corn from the roadside corn store. And eventually we get there. And we get there like at 3 p.m., five hours late. And, uh, and the pastor of the church that's running, the, the, like the local pastor, he comes out and says, oh, welcome, it's great to have you, like, good to be here. And they're like, you know, the conference, some people turned up. We're like, yeah, and, like, and then they went home again. I was like, oh, okay. But there are others who turned up, and they've just been standing in the church and singing for the last five hours. I was like, oh, wow. And these people, they're like, yeah, we've got time. You know, they'll turn up when they turn up. What are we going to do? Let's praise Jesus. And then they just do that. And I had a wonderful time. I was not stressed. I wasn't stressed partly, mostly because it's not my problem. I was like, you can drive me around. This is your thing. I'll just turn up and preach where I'm going to preach. But what was great is that wasn't my problem. And so I got to notice the things. I got to, to meet new people and ex have new experiences because I wasn't stressed about what was going on. And they weren't stressed about what was going on. I'm like, oh, if you're not stressed, I don't need to be stressed. And if we can, you know grab some of that Kenyan timeness for ourselves, just maybe just the tiniest bit, because it's kind of somewhat like God's time, that he gets stuff done when he's going to get stuff done. Maybe, maybe we can enjoy what's going on around us a bit more. Maybe when things aren't taking, aren't happening when we want them to, we can be like the people in the church and say, well, I guess it's time to praise Jesus and spend some time worshiping Jesus, however that works for you. Now, what I'm not saying is that it's easy. Like I can, like Jairus has been told by Jesus that he should trust him, but I don't think Jesus is saying, and this is going to be easy for you to do. It's still going to be tough. There's no expectation that as you trust God that you're going to find it easy. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, he wasn't like, well, this will be fun. No, it was tough for him. It was hard to trust his father, but he did it. 
and he did it for God's glory and he did it for us. As we trust God, it's going to be tough. But also, we're going to see things that we would have missed if we're just focused on the stuff that has to happen. And so if we're not rushing, if we're trusting Jesus, that he is the master of time and he's our master too, if we're not rushing him and we're choosing not to be rushed ourselves, what are we going to do instead? Well, I think one thing we can do is we can choose people over the tasks. That we can be willing to be distracted at times. To be willing to, to, to say, oh, here's someone who might need me. In Ephesians 2, we've, we are told that a God has created good works in advance for us to do. And sometimes we can be so focused on the task ahead of us that we miss the good works that God might have prepared for us. There might be someone who needs you to sit and pray with them. Someone who needs you to really listen when you say to them, how are you going? Someone who, who wants you to just be with them the way that Jesus was willing to be with that woman. Maybe what we can do is just take time to listen to God. To relax knowing that he is in charge. Uh, when I've been dealing with anxiety, one of the things people talk about is breathing. Take time to breathe. Take Breathe in for four seconds, hold the breath for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, hold your breath for four seconds, breathe in for four seconds. And that feels somewhat like a rebellious act in a world that makes it want you to keep getting stuff done. But if we spend time just breathing and knowing that God is with us, we can rebel against time the master and give ourselves to God the true master. I read a book uh, called Space Makers, which is talking about how to find space in the, your world. And one of the things it said was just to take some time without your phone, without your computer, and just spend time just being with God. And I've done it twice. It's been really good. I would like to do it a third time in the next week or so. But just being able to stand and look out the window and hold a cup of tea and think, what has God been working on? Or... What's going on in that tree over there? Or who is that person walking down the street? It doesn't even have to be thinking about God, but just taking time to not be rushed, to show that God is in charge, not time, that God will get stuff done. As we do that, we'll, more and more we'll see that God is working in us and we'll see what God has for us to do. Jesus is in charge of time as he, in as he is in charge of all things. Are we willing to be people who say, I will trust him, I will believe, and he will get things done when he wants to get things done. He is good. He will get things done when he wants to get things done. If you are someone who is not a Christian, then what this means for you is that you have not yet said that God is your master. And so you might be feeling the pressure of time. You might be feeling the pressure of you having to get stuff done. The time is running out. You've only got so many hours left in the week, so many hours left in the year, so many hours left in your life, and you've got to get stuff done. If you want to be set free from that, then you can turn to the God who owns all of time the God who offers you eternity. 
when his son Jesus came and lived and died and rose for you so that you might have forgiveness, you might have life and have life to the full. You can give yourself to him and see what he gives you in return. He gives you forgiveness, he gives you hope, he gives you membership of God's family and he gives you time eternally to enjoy him and what he has for you. If that sounds good, then trust in Jesus. And if you are a Christian, then what this means for you is that you have a chance to rebel against time the master and give yourself to God, the God of time, and to trust him that he has your best interests at heart. And while you trust him, see what he's got for you to do, while you are not rushed with the God who is not rushed. How do I pray for us? Our Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he came at just the right time so that we might see you, that we might know you, that we might be welcomed into your family, that we might receive your spirit, that we might receive eternal life with you. I pray for all of us as we feel the pressure of time, as we feel the pressure of unanswered prayers, we feel the pressure of things that we want God to do and we want them done now. I pray, God, that we will be willing to trust you, that we will be willing to, to know that even if it's hard, that you are good and you have our best interests at heart. I pray that we will be people who rebel against time as our master so that we might have you as our true master. Amen. Well, that was the talk. Thanks for listening. I hope it was helpful for you. If you want more talks, to watch my videos, order my books, or book me to speak, go to tomfrench.com.au. It's my home on the internet. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash twfrench or on Insta or YouTube at twfrench as well. And don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts so that other people might be able to discover it. Till next time, have a good one.